Let us all turn together to the Word of God this evening. As you've been hearing, it's the book of Genesis. And tonight we're reading from chapter 42 to begin with. Now, some verses from this chapter, Genesis 42, and then we'll turn over a page or two, get to chapter 44 after that. But we'll look, first of all, at Genesis 42. While you're turning up the place, I may say Mr. McLernan doesn't really need an introduction here in Lisburn. He has fond memories of the early days back in the old church, and right from the start there, we had very much encouragement from Raymond and Rona as they were back then. So it's nice to have them here this evening, Raymond, to bring the word of God. Genesis 42, reading at verse 1. Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan, to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. Chapter 44, verse 1. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses. And when they were gone out of the city, and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up, follow after the men. And when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, 
Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, whereby indeed he drink he divideth? Ye have done evil in so doing. And he overtook them, and they spake unto them these same words. And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold the money which we found in our sacks' mouths. He brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die. And we also will be my Lord's bondmen. And he said, Now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground, and opened every man his sack. And he searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And they rent their clothes and made it every man his ass and returned to the city. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house for he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that ye have done? What you not that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. And he said, God forbid that I should do so. But the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, Get you up in peace unto your father. Amen. We know the Lord will bless the reading and preaching of his word for his name's sake. I would you to turn, please, to that passage that was read for us, Genesis chapter 44. Genesis 44, and a few thoughts from the verse 16 of the chapter. Verse 16, and Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. 
with God's Word open before us. Let's just unite our hearts for a moment in prayer as we seek His help. And again, let's encourage you, beloved, you pray. Pray, Lord, don't let, if nobody else gets a word from thee, let me get a word. Don't let me miss hearing my speaking voice. Our loving God and our Father, we're so thankful today we have the Bible, the written Word of God, God breathed. We thank Thee, it's the entrance of Thy Word that gives light. We thank Thee, Lord, there is hope tonight for the sinner. Though he be born in sin and separated from God because of his sinful condition, yet we have a God who is willing and able to save that poor soul, to make up for the difference. And our prayer would be, Lord, that thou will speak to hearts even here tonight. Maybe, maybe somebody has been thinking for a long time, it's time I was saved, but they've never come to take the step. Oh, give that needed grace even this hour. Come, Lord, just own this word. Hide man out of sight. Let none be seen but Christ. May the sinner be brought face to face with his condition, with his need, and with the reality and the solemn truth that without Christ he'd perish. Oh, come, bless thy word to us. Glorify thy Son, even in the salvation of souls. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis is the beginning of books and the book of beginnings. In the first verse of the first chapter, we begin with God. While in the last verse of the last chapter, we end with a coffin. We begin with God, the great giver of life. We end with feeble man, having no ability whatever to hold on to that life. Throughout this beginning of books, we have many examples of human failure being met by divine grace and divine activity. And we have to acknowledge that where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. Basically, the theme of Genesis is the failure of man under every condition being met by the salvation of God. The last nine chapters of the book deal principally with Joseph and his brethren, and I'm sure you're all familiar with the record, the story of Joseph. And they, they contain some prominent and significant teachings. You'll remember how Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery. And what I've often wondered about this, what does that not have done to his dad? I mean, Jacob sent out his favorite son on a simple errand, but the lad never returned. And that, that, that father's life must have been shattered. And I know some of you know what it is for your son not to come home. I, I, I don't know what that feels like. And I can only imagine. I'm sure words just don't describe what, what it's like. 
What must this not have What a traumatic experience this must have been for old Jacob. What must he have gone through? Oh, sorry, we know the whole story now, yes. But he didn't know it at that time. He didn't know what was happening. And, and what he had to come through would have put many a parent in an early grave. Nevertheless, God brought good out of the evil that Joseph's brothers had done to him. And that family was eventually all reunited with the despised Joseph at the head of things. <laughs> Only the Lord could have turned things around like that, the way that it all transpired. Anyway, by this stage, some 22 years have passed since that awful experience. And Joseph has not only done all right in Egypt, he has risen to second command in the land. He is now Pharaoh's right-hand man. He's in a position of authority. And again, it's all the Lord's doing. It's marvelous how the Lord works in some people's lives, isn't it? It was God who got him to where he now was. I mean, uh, well, have you been successful in life? Did you ever stop to think, I only am where I am because of the grace of God? Don't pat yourself on the back too hard, beloved. Because without the Lord, there's none of us that ever be anything. And whatever you have, whatever you enjoy, remember, it's only because the Lord allowed it. Even Pharaoh had to acknowledge that since Joseph had come about the place, the whole land of Egypt had prospered. Indeed, we, we, we might parallel Joseph in this instance with the Lord Jesus Christ himself and say that that stone which the builders had rejected had become the head of the corner. We could do with a few Josephs in our nation today, couldn't we? Anyway, Joseph's brethren dwelt in Canaan. We're told in verse 5 of chapter 42 that the famine was now in the land of Canaan. Now, that famine was destined to last for seven years. So we, we can understand the anxiety that was felt with uh, such a big family as Jacob's was. Harvest was destined to failure for seven years in a row. Now, we don't know what that would be like, but imagine. Imagine what it would mean even in this country. Well, people complain about the rain and all the rest. But, you know, when hardships come, does it cause people to turn and seek the Lord? I mean, how, how many have been saved in recent days because the Lord has allowed this pandemic to sweep the world? How many are recognizing this is, the, maybe the Lord didn't plan it, but he has allowed it. And there's all sorts of theories out there as to who is behind it. The Lord has allowed it. But are men taking note that hold on, it's time we were making ready to meet the Lord. I mean, are we not saying, I'm, <laughs> uh, prophecy not my school, and there's a man sitting behind me here who could tell you more about the future than I could. But no matter what is behind the present situation, 
I don't see people flocking to gospel meetings. When on our way to church this morning, people in their droves were making their way into a forest park. I wonder, what's the attraction in there on a Sabbath morning? People are not pouring into God's house. They're not seeking the Lord as we might expect. Is the pandemic, does it mean nothing? Do people not hear that God's speaking? Interesting here to note what uh, Jacob said in chapter 42, verse 2. He said, Behold, I have heard that there's corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. You see that? Notice those words. That we may live and not die. Beloved, isn't it the truth that man doesn't want to die? Isn't it so that many are afraid to die? Oh, there's plenty of corn in Egypt, but these men live in Canaan, and that's far away from where the supply is. And so they go hungry. But then, doesn't the sinner share the same experience? The unsaved today choose to live in a world of spiritual famine. Ungodly men and women attempt to satisfy the hunger of their soul by feeding on the dainties and pleasures of a sinful old world. But that hunger will never be satisfied with the things of the world. It's just not possible. See, when God created man, he created him with a certain vacuum that only the Lord himself can fill. And sadly, man is so blind he can't see it. I mean, how many have tried the alcohol, the nicotine, the drugs. Those things, they don't satisfy. They've got to try something else. I can't help but think that some of these gender issues that we're bombarded with these days, I wonder, is this just another attempt to find something, some new buzz? Is that why some go that way? You ever see as many tattoos as people have these days, unbelievable, and the mess that some people are in. Are, are they looking for something else to, to fill that vacuum? It's not going to happen. Not with these things. It's only Christ can satisfy the soul, and yet they don't want to hear it. Isn't that sad? See, the need is a spiritual need. Therefore, the use of material means to try and remedy the situation just cannot, will not work. Anyway, here are Joseph's brothers, the same brothers that had despised him years earlier and sold him off to slavery. But now they are the very ones who are in need. And in the providence of God, they are brought to the very feet of the one who is going to meet that need. What a picture of Christ this is. He is the one whom sinners have despised and rejected. Yet he is the only one who can meet the sinner at the point of his need. As we look a little closer, there's three things I want to consider for a moment or two. Firstly, their conscience accused them. I have to remember that by the time these men were coming to Egypt to look for corn, 
22 years had passed since they had sold Joseph. It's that length of time since his name was probably mentioned among them. Now, by this stage, he's more or less forgotten, except not altogether. You see, there's this strange mechanism that is built into each one of us that won't allow certain things to be forgotten. It's called conscience. Often described as God's deputy within man. Men engage in various activities to keep their minds occupied. And we thought of some of them already. Keep them from thinking about past sins. But then there's this problem. Conscience won't let them forget about past sins. Beloved, if that's you, and you can look back over your life, and you know there's sin in that department, there's sin in another department, and for some you just can't get it out of your mind, you should thank God. Woe betide that person who can sin and forget about it and think that it doesn't still stand, that it's not outstanding before God. If your sin troubles you, you should be on your knees thanking God. It's an indication the Spirit of God hasn't left you yet. When a sinner repents of his sin and receives Christ Jesus as his Savior and Lord, Praise the Lord, God blots out every transgression. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And they'll never be remembered against any more. He removes the guilt that can so torment a person's mind. God says in Hebrews 10, 16 and 17, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, when God forgives, He forgets. That's how the repentant sinner finds peace with God, peace in his heart and in his mind. His conscience is clear before God on the grounds both of his repentance and of God's forgiveness. However, until that repentance is exercised, the sinner consciously determines to have done with his sin, if he comes to find peace with God, until that happens, he can never get away from the wrongs he has committed. Why? Because of this thing called conscience. If you cast your mind back to when Joseph was just a teenager. You recall the dreams that he had? He dreamed that this famine would one day come. God showed it to him in a dream. He, he foresaw that there would be seven good years, followed by seven years of harvest failure. Now, both circumstances were there. To have seven bumper years was unusual because of the climate, because of disease, because of those pests, such as the, the locusts that can so devour a harvest. They've been known to clean a farmer's harvest out in a matter of, well, maybe an, an hour or two. They, they can wipe the whole lot out. They, they had, uh, it, it made the news there just a couple of months back, 
I think it was Kenya where somebody was um, bombarded. This um, swarm of locusts came in and, and settled on a farmer's fields. And they just, they just left them with nothing in a matter of a few hours. Yet with the annual flooding of the Jordan, it was unheard of to have prolonged periods of shortage. But Joseph had said it would come, and it did. God had revealed it to him. This was a young man in touch with God. But that was something his brothers didn't understand. And you know, it's remarkable here that Joseph's brothers failed to recognize that God was with their brother, After all, there was some godly influence in their home. They must have known something of how God works in situations. They had had Abraham for their great-grandfather. They must have learned something of God's ways from him. And yet when Joseph came to work for Pharaoh, a man who didn't know the Lord, he had to remark that the Spirit of God was with Joseph. Even he could see it. Those brothers got their 20 pieces of silver. For the young brother they despised, and as far as they were concerned, he was out of their hair. Well, they thought he was. And then God had his own way of turning the tables on them, and on their wickedness. And this famine was what God used to bring these brothers to see the error of their ways. Jacob kept Benjamin at home and sent the older brothers off for the supply of corn. When they arrived in Egypt, they didn't recognize Joseph. Remember, it's over 20 years. He was dressed just like all other Egyptians, but he knew them. And when it came to communicating with them, he spoke through an interpreter so that they wouldn't be suspicious. He actually he tactfully quizzed the brothers as to who was still at home, and they mentioned Benjamin, the youngest. But then Joseph accused them of being spies and insisted on holding on to Simeon so that they would have to, whenever they would go home with the corn, if he kept Simeon, they'd have to come back again to retrieve him. They protested their innocence, appealed to Joseph to consider their father's health. But Joseph had a plan, and he would see it through. Remember, these brothers have come from Canaan to Egypt to buy corn. Joseph gave instruction to the steward to fill the brothers' sacks with corn, but put their money back into those bags. And so he sent them on their way. Along the route home, they stopped to feed their horses, and that's when they they discovered the money was still in their sacks, and they they couldn't understand it. They they did eventually return for more corn, but Joseph repeated the exercise, and he told his steward this on the second visit to, to put his silver cup into Benjamin's sack and again sent them on their way, and then he sends a steward out after them. You know the story. Sent the steward out after them to look for the cup, and when it's discovered, he can't figure out what's going on. Benjamin knew he was innocent as far as the taking of the cup was concerned, but it was Judah who said, 
What shall we say unto my Lord? Or what shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? And notice what he said. God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. See that? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. What iniquity? The selling of Joseph. The scheming to get rid of him. The lies they told old Jacob. The agony they had put that man through leading leading him to believe that, that Joseph was dead. And now after 22 years, their sin has caught up with them. Conscience smote them sore. Numbers 32, 23 reads, Behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. It doesn't say you'll be found out. It will find you out. Beloved, do you have a conscience about your sin? Is it nothing to you that every day you sin against the Lord by rejecting his offer of mercy, by scorning the Savior's dying love? And would you live day after day as if you'd never sinned or as though you'll, you'll never be called to account? You're not a sinner because of some wrong you've done. If you've done wrong, you did so because you're a sinner. I wish we could get that truth home to people's hearts. You know, multitudes live with the idea, well, I mean, I don't do anybody any harm, and they can rattle off such a screed of pious activity that they engage in. That's all very commendable. But the, the, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. We are born in sin. And until that truth gets home to people's hearts, they're never going to see a need for a Savior. Condemned already is how John 3.18 puts it. Because he had not believed in the only begotten Son of God. You here tonight unsaved, you have refused to allow Christ to be part of your life. Yet, He is your only hope for eternity. And eternity is forever. Wish we could get that home. Our finite minds can't comprehend forever. No end. Does it not bother your conscience, beloved, that your sin will not only cause you to miss heaven, but it's, it's breaking the heart of those dear ones, those loved ones who are praying for you? The one thing you want to be careful about is that you don't stifle that conscience. You could do, but to your own detriment. You try to convince yourself that, well, your sin's not that serious. Beloved, you could miss your day of opportunity to have that sin put away. By ignoring the voice of your conscience, you could be volunteering yourself for hell. Don't make that mistake. No preacher gets any kicks out of advising a sinner he's on his way to hell. But he must face the truth. Notice secondly here the challenge that awakened these men. On the face of it, it looks like 
these brothers are coming to buy corn because of the threat of starvation back home. Well, we can't fault them for that. People need to eat. We wouldn't expect them to steal the corn. But when they were set out on their way back home with the supply and stopped to give provender to their, their animals, they discovered this money in their sacks. So what would be their first reaction? If this was you, how would you feel? Would you imagine somebody had made a mistake? Or would you be so overwhelmed the thought that somebody wanted to show you such kindness? Would you be embarrassed? Or would pride rise up within your heart so that you felt, oh, I can't accept this. They needed the corn. I suppose it's fair to say they didn't really need the money. They were a well-to-do family. But a gift, to accept a gift like this, well, maybe, maybe it just did hurt the pride a little. After all, they, they wouldn't want to feel indebted to anybody. They would want, would want, want to think that they could get by without any outside help. You know, a lot of people are like that. Now, beloved, doesn't the same thing happen when it comes to salvation? If salvation could be bought with money, I think people would be queuing up to get it. People love a bargain. Indeed, sometimes the more people pay for an item, the better the item. At least they think they've got something better. Remember, a lady pranked her BMW, and she got a quote from a family member for the repairs, quoted about 600 pounds. And she went to a garage in Belfast, BMW garage in Belfast. They quoted her three grand. So she went there, paid the three grand. Why? Whenever that fellow, that relative, saw the repair, he said, I could have done a better job than that. Prayed. Rotten thing, isn't it? You know, multitudes of people across this earth this evening, they live hoping they've done enough good to secure a place in heaven. Millions of people have themselves convinced that their lifestyle deserves a place in heaven. Which part of the problem is they want a heaven where they can take their sin with them. They want a heaven where there's no mention of Christ. And it doesn't exist. Heaven is where Jesus is. There's nothing in Scripture to support the notion that a good life can get anybody to heaven. Indeed, the Scripture directly contradicts that, for it says, salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. When this happens... Never any mention of sin or repentance. People, people don't see themselves as sinners, sadly deluded. The Bible's very clear. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Those are the words of Christ. It was God who said it. It wasn't the free Presbyterians. See, there's just no awareness of sin these days, is there? And no consciousness of who God is. People sin every day, but they do so as if with impunity. 
It's as if God just turns a blind eye to it all. And then when, when they have lived life to the full, whether indulging in big sins, little sins, or in things that they don't even see as sin, and they've tried all that the world can offer. They're steeped maybe in self-righteousness. They expect that when death takes them away, they'll still find a place in some euphoric experience. That just can't be, beloved. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. That's a very far different outlook from the one people are living with, but it's one that they need to waken up to. It's a truth that needs to be observed. Here was a family of brothers. They'd lived with this secret sin. They had, years earlier, sold their own flesh and blood to a life of slavery. They'd deceived their own father into thinking a wild animal had killed the boy. And they watched their father suffer anguish of soul year after year after year. But for the grace of God, it might have killed old Jacob. Ah, but then, wasn't he something of a deceiver himself? Didn't he deceive his father before him when he disguised himself as Esau in order to steal the birthright? You see, isn't it the truth, beloved? Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You reap the same as you sow. You reap after you sow. And you reap an awful lot more than you sow. Did his sin not find him out? Surely his conscience must have smitten him. But you know, God has his own way of turning things around. God knew all about the famine. Indeed, the, the Lord was way ahead of Joseph's brothers. For it was God who gave Joseph those dreams those years earlier in the first place. You remember the dream about everybody else's stook of corn bowing to Joseph's? Here it was. The dream was coming true. God had it all planned. And when the famine did come, those Brothers who had so mistreated Joseph were brought to the point where they now needed him. You know, we all need to be careful how we deal with other people. It doesn't, it, it doesn't do, always do to be at odds with somebody. You might need that person. That person might be the very one you do need in a future date. Somebody said you need to keep your words sweet one day you might have to eat them. You know, when you think of it, surely when Jacob first mentioned going to Egypt to buy corn, could you imagine the thought must have run into these fellows' minds? Egypt? That's where we sold Joseph to. Did they not begin to wonder what had ever become of their brother? We can't help but think that their old sin must have come back at this stage to haunt them. The challenge before them now is not just to go and buy corn. The challenge now was to own up to their sin, at least to themselves. Wouldn't the thoughts of Joseph now be revived in their minds as they made that journey? Ah, God, God was now bringing those brothers to face up to the wrong 
they had committed. Yes, it was over 20 years earlier, but the sin was still outstanding in God's book. Beloved, you might have sinned 20 years ago. Maybe you've forgotten about it. It's still in God's record book. It's still not paid for, as long as you're without a Savior. Over 20 years ago, you did some wrong to somebody, but you've never sought the Lord's forgiveness. Indeed, for all those years you've lived, you've been adding sin to sin, and this evening, the amount of sin that's stacked against you could be staggering if we only knew. I don't want to know, but God knows. You've never repented of it, therefore it's still outstanding. And are you, beloved, going to keep adding to it until you have to meet, one, to meet God one day with nowhere to run, nowhere to hide? We read in Revelation 6 of men who have ignored their sin and maybe tried to put it out of their minds, but we're told that when the Lord Jesus comes back in the clouds of glory, those same people are going to be found crying to the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the face of God. This applies to multitudes across this world this evening. They can't bear to meet their sins again, but there'll be nowhere to hide if they have never repented. And verse 17 of that chapter asks the very pertinent question, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? I may have told you before about a man on his deathbed in South Armagh. It was quite a few years back now. The family around the bed. And the old man hears footsteps coming up the stairs. He says, who's that coming into my room? And he names a man that he could see clearly coming into his bedroom. And the family look around. Well, there's nobody there. Well, this, oh, this, this dying man, he can see him plainly. And then there's another, he hears footsteps again. He says, here's somebody else coming. And he names the second man coming into his bedroom. And the third. And the family thought, well, it's the medication. He's raving. Doesn't know what he's saying. But that man could see clearly three different individuals coming into his bedroom. Do you know who it was? It was three men he had murdered during his life. And he could see them clearly. And the thought came to my mind when I heard that of a verse in Isaiah, 4, Isaiah 14 and 9. Hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. And that's the way that man went out into eternity. Blood on his hands. Beloved, you're here tonight unsaved. You have blood on your hands. Well, it's not somebody in South Armagh. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. You are guilty of the death of Christ because you've rejected his offer of mercy. If you're not hiding in Christ tonight, you will have to face the wrath of God. I'm not saying that to be cruel or offensive. It's the truth, and we've got to face it. You will meet God. You don't want to meet God in your sin. 
And you do. You'll be banished from his presence forever in a lost sinner's hell. Is that sin that you're holding on to, is it worth that? I mean, how long have you to live? What if you get a hundred years in this life? What is it compared to eternity? It's just a blink. And would you hold on to sin for a blink? To go out into a lost eternity to be there forever in the torments and agonies of hell? This visit to Egypt was the first thing to bring these men to their senses. They realized their sin. It struck home to them just how grievously they had behaved. Conscience smote them. Well, they didn't like it, but it was what they needed. It was the first thing to bring them to the place of repentance. Tell me, what will it take to bring you to repentance? What will the Lord have to do to get you to finish with sin and embrace Him? Would you not cry to the Lord for mercy while you still can, lest His day of wrath overtake you and find you unprepared? Notice quickly, in closing, the comfort that awaited them. The central issue in all of this must be the fact that Joseph never stopped caring for his brothers, even though they had treated him with such contempt. Chapter 42, verse 7 tells us that when he met them for the first time in Egypt, he spoke roughly to them. But behind his harshness was a heart of love. If, if he had purposed to judge them for the wrongs they had done, well, they'd have been put out into slavery or punished, maybe even put to death. But Joseph had no intention of doing his brethren any harm. He spoke in rough tones, but only so that they might begin to feel the, the guilt of their sin. Because only when they acknowledged their guilt could they then find the way to reconciliation. That's exactly how God works. If a sinner isn't confronted with his sin, then he'll never see his need of a Savior. People don't, they don't want to hear about their sin. And sadly, there are too many places these days where people should be hearing about their sin, and they're not hearing it. But they need to be advised. And again, I say this, it's not, we're not saying it to be offensive. You need to get a hold of the truth. We're sinners. You need to be saved. So when God says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, when he says, you're of your father the devil, those things hurt. But such thoughts go against the grain. They smite the conscience and they hurt the pride, but they are necessary. The sinner must recognize his guilt before he can be saved. Here, these men have come to realize the full extent of their sin against Joseph, and they came and fell at his feet. And as they did so, Joseph could now see the fulfillment of God's promise to him that he had learned in that dream all those years earlier. 
God keeps his word. And by this stage, it's almost 25 years, but the promise of God still stood. And as far as the unconverted today are concerned, the promise of God is still the same as it was 2,000 years ago. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Beloved, if you're unsaved this evening, all your sin is recorded in God's book. But rather than judge you for it, God is willing to have it removed so that you might have peace with himself. The Lord Jesus never stops caring for you. It's not his will that you should perish, but that you should come to repentance. Will you not then recognize his love and compassion and come and trust him to forgive your sins, to blot them out, Would you not cast yourself upon the mercy of God and know the joy of sins forgiven? What a happy outcome there was for Joseph's brothers when they recognized their sin against him. And then they were struck with his love for them. How they came and happily repented of their wrongdoing. And they found in him that peace that so many years had been robbed of. Beloved, could could the gospel be any simpler? We've all sinned. God loves you tonight. Christ died for you so that you wouldn't have to perish. He offers you Free, everlasting life. Pardon for sin. Cleansing in his precious blood. The gift of eternal life. That's God's gift to you. How could you spurn it? How could you not take I mean, what, what, what's the options? You, you continue in your sin. You die in your sin. You go to hell. I don't say that lately, but that's the truth. Or you finish with sin, you recognize Christ has paid the debt for you. You embrace him, take him as your personal Savior. And you go out that door ready for heaven. You put your head on the pillow tonight, and you can sleep the sleep of the just, knowing it is well. It is well with my soul. If I don't open my eyes in this world again, I'll open them in glory. You know something? There are people in heaven now who ten minutes ago are still living in this life. There are people in hell right now who ten minutes ago are still living in sin. How do we know? Because since this meeting began, somewhere in the region of 6,000 souls have left this scene of time and are now in God's eternity. If you had been one of them, where would you be now? Beloved, the ball's in your court. What will you do 
with Jesus Christ. That's what will settle your eternity. Will you trust him to be your Savior? Listen, it doesn't matter how black your past may have been. The blood of Jesus Christ has power to cleanse from all sin. Underline the word all. It's 1 John 1 and 7. Turn it up. Underline it. Read it over and over. The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. I know Satan misquotes that. He says all sins are but one. Then Satan's a liar. The blood can cleanse you, make you clean, make you fit for God's heaven. Will we meet you there? Is your conscience troubling you tonight because of sin? Let me close with these words from the Apostle Paul. It's in 2 Corinthians 5 and 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Beloved, to be reconciled to God is treasure beyond compare. Will you take Christ tonight to be your Savior? What will you do? Go home without him? Gamble with your soul? Or trust him now to save you? Fit you for heaven? Let's bow in prayer. God has spoken to your heart tonight, beloved. I trust he has. If you're troubled about your sin, if you're not saved, I I trust you are troubled. Do remember that God has said in his word, my spirit shall not always strive with man. You see, there may come that time when the Lord will stop speaking. And if that happens to you, you're doomed. And there's nothing anyone can do to help you. That's why it's vital that if you're not saved, you come and be saved even now. The hymn writer said, Just as I am, without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Would you come, beloved? If we can be any help to you, come and speak to us. Whatever you do, don't you go to hell for anybody. You make your peace with God. Know the joy of your sins forgiven. 
go on your way rejoicing. Our Father, we ask thee to take what is of thyself, write thy word upon every waiting heart, save that man, save that dear woman, save that young person, and forbid, Lord, that any should leave this meeting and miss heaven. Give that needed grace we ask of thee, and glorify thy Son, even in the salvation of souls. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.